His restaurants and businesses are among the community's most iconic and favorite. From the 219 to Trinity at City Beach and a host of others, Justin Dick has a rare gift of making it feel like you're both dining at home with treasured friends and treated like a valued guest at the best restaurant around. Come along for this edition of the 7B Podcast as we talk to Justin about his business ventures, his family, his work on the Sandpoint City Council, and his dedication to the community's nonprofits. Tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into the restaurant business, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, my wife and I moved up uh, from Colorado, just outside of uh, Denver, a little south in a metro or in a uh, suburban area. We moved in 2006. We first vacationed here in 1997, I believe it was. My sister was going to Rocky Mountain Academy, so we stayed in Bonners Ferry a couple of days. Um, we found ourselves driving down to Sandpoint all the time. You know, I wanted to work out. I remember vividly. I'd take the rental car for Sandpoint West Athletic Club. Ivano's was open, but in a different location. Uh, the Thai Bangkok. Thai Bangkok, I remember we took her there. and So it was just a matter of trying to figure out our lives and how we were all eventually going to get back here. Um, we ended up here in 06. We, I was in the automotive industry. My wife and I, uh, we both ended up at the University of Colorado, Denver, where we finished up. Both got jobs outside of that. Um, but living in that, living in our area, we were renting. Uh, we didn't really see an opportunity for having children. We'd lived in such a spot that uh, football, baseball, basketball, if we did have kids, we were going to be driving 45 minutes to an hour, you know, one direction. Right. Denver was sprawling quite a bit uh, out to the foothills, so we wanted something a little more quiet. Uh, our friends and some of our family members thought we were crazy for moving to Sandpoint when we did. Uh, got married up here. My mother had just started Cafe Trinity in 2002, 2003. She envisioned it with her chef as just being a little tiny. Um, she would be taking orders and he would be cooking, just a little tiny cafe. Uh, quickly, they ended up with like 17 employees. 17 employees moved to uh, a wine shop down the street by the Panada, the 219. Uh, Trinity at Willow Bay, when they, when they ended up with that, when they opened that up is when I kind of got the phone calls like, hey, we could probably use some help up here if you're interested. <laughs> Uh, and this could be your opportunity to move up here. I didn't know anything about restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, I came from the car industry, so I thought that was um, as wild as the car industry felt at the time that we were in it, because mm -hmm. we experienced the really high highs of the economy and so much, you know, far less customer service and more sales driven. Um, and then 2004, 2005, 2006, we started seeing uh, debt to income ratio was going crazy. People had, you know, four vehicles plus their work vehicle, all really expensive stuff, expensive houses. Uh, very similar to what we're dealing with today, as a matter of fact, right? So we started seeing the banks weren't, uh, the banks weren't picking up deals like they were. I opened up a, they call it a pot lot. It's basically a used car lot that's got anywhere from 12 to 20 cars on it. I opened that up with another guy. We went to a few first of our options and nothing was selling because stuff wasn't buying. So it's kind of a good a good time to say, okay, it's time to start something else. Mm -hmm. Came up, got in the restaurant, uh, started off at the lowest rungs, cleaning the 219 from midnight to 6 a.m. and serving that. The 219 used to stay open uh, or would open up at 6 a.m. for the evening shift over at Thorn and Lighthouse to get off. And you get those folks would come in here. 
uh, have a couple beers, have some coffee, wake up, uh, or finish, you know, finish off a hard night. Uh, from there, Cafe Trinity, just start working as how to serve, what wine is. I never drank a whole lot of wine in my life. Uh, didn't understand the differences between a Coors Light and an IPA. Uh, did that, went out to Willow Bay, managed that for a couple of summers, uh, and then eventually came back in town. My folks in 2010, uh, we had the opportunity, we always loved Swan's Landing when it was here. That was kind of our first um, really nice sit-down experience as a family with my sister after we hadn't seen her in several months. Uh, so we went over there, we loved that area. My folks ended up picking that up and turned it into 41 South and sold it to Cassandra after that. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to come down here. Dave Libby's lease was up. He went over to Connie's. And it was just, you know, the first three years were extremely tough down here. We started in uh, May of 2009. So we were still in quite the economic crisis, and we were pretty far behind the national economy. So we really felt it in 2009 versus 2008 when most of the country was feeling it on the coast, at least. 10-11 were super tough. Lots of remodeling. It's a tough spot. We're off the beaten path in the wintertime, at least with the locals. Uh, but in the summertime, you know, we got four months out of the year where we really make our money, uh, hemorrhage cash the rest of the year, just trying to keep everybody on to get ready. You know, it, it, before shutdown, we had almost 200 employees for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, room service, open every holiday except for Christmas Day. So we were really plugging away at it. 2019 was one of our best years. And then, of course, we got the the COVID shutdown after that. Oh, and along there, somewhere along those lines, eight years ago, started working with Chet and Sherry um, and saw an avenue to purchase Jalapenos, the business, and then the following year to come after that building as well. So yeah, it was a really good, you know, I one thing I've really learned over the years, especially after watching Jim, Jim Lippy, Barney Ballard, Peter at Spuds, the new Peter at Spuds, both the uh, um, Duff, uh, McDuff brothers, uh, who else? Chad and Maggie mm -hmm. from Sweet Lou's. Dave Libby over. I, it was it was interesting to see when I first got up here in 06, there wasn't a lot of collaboration amongst the restaurants. There was more concern about is, is this person going to leave you for a quarter to go next door to Gloria's place? People were worried about stealing recipes. It's so, it's so silly, all the, all the stuff we worried about uh, a couple decades or a decade ago nobody really cares about anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I'm really proud to say that we, we've got like such a vibrant restaurant community, regardless of how many places are open or not. I've never been in an area where more businesses collaborate that could be competing against each other, but see and understand and recognize those synergies that like, hey, I'm not gonna have somebody seven days a week over at my place, right? Where am I gonna send them to that's in walking space for Italian, right? Where they're gonna get the total experience as mm -hmm. well too. And we see that with the retailers downtown as well. They do such a fantastic job. They all know our hours, which is amazing. They all send people our, our different ways, depending on what days we're open. And we try to do the same thing, too, because I think it's about that, that Sandpoint experience, right? Yeah. You want to send them Pondre Bay Trail, send them around City Beach, uh, go up to Foster's and Marketplace and check out the antiques. The re you know, most of that stuff is regional for us as well, too. Mm -hmm. So it's got a nice little history. And then, of course, Pondre serves many purposes as well. And getting um, having that relationship with Schweitzer and in downtown, that's gone up and down over the years. And a lot of it, I think we're seeing, especially based upon this year, is snow-related, right? The more snow they have, despite how much development they're doing up there, people are still wanting to get off the mountain and enjoy Sandpoint, which I think is really cool. We've had other years where the snow has not been so great, and Schweitzer has enough development up there to keep those people up there for four or five days before they actually come down here. The byway was a terribly challenging um, 
I was all for the byway, still am all for the byway. Right. What we didn't, we knew that the impact was going to be such that people heading north probably weren't going to get off at the same point exit and they'd pass right through to Ponderay. We understood that, and there was a few businesses that thought they had taken some lumps from it, but most everything was pretty, uh, I'd say, pretty status quo in terms of revenues. Mm -hmm. What we didn't think is when they were coming down from Schweitzer, they'd go through that Starbucks drive through there and then bypass Sandpoint after that. And I think that's where we had gotten hit in the early years of the byway. And like I said, I, I'm really thrilled to see what we've gotten, kind of the participation of the mountain customer, you know, mm -hmm. those who have traveled specifically to go the mountain and who are coming down and realizing how fun Sandpoint is. If you had to say what your mission statement is and what your core values are, what would those be? Uh, my, the mission statement is easy, um, and I have two. And the easiest one is be better, mm -hmm. right? It, always try to be better than you were the day before. I, I know it's a little cliche, but it, it is each and every, you know, there's days when I get to hour 10 or 11, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to mail in the rest of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, and trying not to do that and setting a good example. But um, the, the true mission statement from the early days, as early as 2008, as I can recall when I was putting together the handbook, is to sell the highest quality and most compelling product at the best price with the best customer service. And the one thing I'll say, and whether we hit the nail on the head or not, I value customer service above anything, mm -hmm. absolutely anything. Um, Sandpoint's one of those funny mm -hmm. places. You can, you can get bad service and a great meal and you'll return you can get a bad meal and great service and you return. But the kiss of death is when you have a bad meal and you have bad service, right? Mm -hmm. And the standpoint local is as such that you may, most of those who are dining out on a regular basis, dine out probably four nights a week. And they go to McDuff's, they go to Icarts, they go to Trinity, and they go to Ivano's or Arlo's. Um, and if you screw one of those up, right, you may just take that customer out of the pool altogether, right? Where they may just not go out on Friday nights for a while because of that experience. Or they may replace you with 41 South. And now they're in that same rotation again, but you don't get back in that rotation. It can take years or it typically takes a mistake from one of the other restaurants to get you back in the rotation after that. Mm -hmm. So being really, really mindful of that, I think those were the first lessons that I really, uh, I found the hard way um, in, in just trying to find a solution for everything. I, I love, I don't love when we screw something up, but I know when we screw something up and if I have the opportunity to talk to the customer about mm -hmm. it, we're gonna make a lifelong customer because I, I'm gonna comp your entire meal, I'm gonna comp your table's meal, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make you satisfied before you head out. And, to make and it right. Yeah, to make it right. And at the, at the worst case scenario, we're gonna get you back and we're gonna to prove to you that we were on an off night one of those nights. So yeah, customer service I hold near and dear to my heart and especially as, as many places are shutting down right now. Um, as my parents are traveling across the country right now in their RV and they send me menus and give me vignettes of their dining experiences. The one thing we're seeing is convenience is overtaking customer service, right? I want DoorDash. I just want to get on my phone. I don't want to talk to anybody. When the driver comes up, he's going to put it on my door. I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to grab it. Um, when you get here, no water service at the tables, making the customers ask for water service. Okay, so There's some school of thought that says we're wasting water for that, but um, I think that's part of the, your whole experience when you walk mm -hmm. in, right? The way that the plates are presented on the table, the way mm -hmm. the food is given to the customer, the seat numbers at which we use, not auctioning off food when we get to the table, knowing exactly where that is. Mm -hmm. um, 
And having that level of service that you're paying, any of us could sit at our house and, and make a relatively simple turkey sandwich, right? Mm-hmm. Why would we go to a place like Trinity or Eichhardt's to make that, right? Mm-hmm. It's that second portion of it's that experience. I want to be down by the environment of City Beach. I want the, I love the staff, know me by my first name. They know exactly what I want to eat when I get there. I sit at the same table every time. I don't have to do the dishes. I know I get big smiles from the staff. Mm-hmm. I know they're engaged with what I am, what I'm doing. Personally. We're really big on like, you need to know your people, mm-hmm. and especially now with this new influx of of residents. If you see, you know, I'm very. We we talk. We staff meeting on customer service every single morning, mm-hmm. every single morning, um, and we discuss our stories, what happened yesterday, what worked, mm-hmm. what got a customer agitated, and I think a lot of that has come from our customer service. I've always been really driven on that. Because I think that that at the end of the day will set you apart from everything. You can make lots of mistakes there, but if your customer service is on point, uh, that's when people remember your name. They remember that experience, that birthday, that anniversary. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the driving force behind myself. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me more more upset than anything else. Like the, my my people know I lose my mind when we have customer service issues because it's it's very easy to backtrack and go okay, this is where we got screwed up in the process, right? right? And it was this early on, and it's in, you know, nine times out of ten, it's a communication issue, right? And, and it's an uncertainty issue. Am I, am I going to get a drink? Am I going to get seated? Are they going to pick up the phone? Is my order ever going to come? And with a little bit of communication, mm-hmm. hey, you're two tickets back, right? Hey, your drinks are up. I just got to run and go get them. If you guys mm-hmm. give me a second, I'll come over back to the table, right? But without that, that's when when the angst starts. It's like driving through fog, right? Somebody made a good analogy with this at city council. And what's the scariest part of driving in the fog? And everybody went through all these lists of, I might hit a deer or a moose. I might go off the road. There might be another car in front of me. Somebody might not have their brake lights on. And it's like, well, it's all of those, right? Mm-hmm. You're uncertain of what's going to happen next. And then the brain starts to fill in the loops. And, and it fills in the bigger picture. Oh, my server looked at me wrong, right? The owner doesn't like me, right? The kitchen kitchen hates our table, right? It's all this stupid thing. And especially with the pandemic, it was just, it was that uh, half wanted to wear a mask, the other half didn't. And we learned very quickly, and thank God the retailers took the lumps for us to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, as they got open for restaurants. But after talking to our retailers, it was very apparent that it was, you wear a mask, you know, you do what you need to do at your staff level, mm-hmm. right, of following the guidance or guidelines, or, or if you didn't. But with the customer, it was you're going to leave it to the customer to make the decision right. as to what they're going to do, right? And, and I'm glad we didn't get into those, you know, that first summer of 2020, we heard nothing but bitching and screaming and crying about how bad the tourists were, the new residents, the customers. And it's like, well, think about putting yourself in their shoes. They went to Trinity, and it was an hour and a half wait, right? They went to Burger Dock, it's an hour and a half wait. They went to Ivano's, right? All this, this place where they used to just be able to walk in and sometimes get a table on a Friday night on July 4th. Now it's very by the book. You got a phone call. You got a phone in your hands. You need to make a reservation. You need to wait. What are we going to do for an hour and a half? We've got 16 people in the cabin. You know what I mean? You touched on this a little bit, Justin. How did you decide to get into the restaurant business? And what was it like going from the car industry it was to the where worst. you are now? It, it's the worst, and it still is the worst. I, I like... Um, I would never recommend this life for anybody, ever. I mean, there, there, there's nights of wonderful accomplishment, right, where your staff works together and you're a team. Um, when you make a customer happy, when you made the anniversary, the birthday, the special occasion really nice. 
Uh, we've done lots of weddings that have brought tears to your eyes, and, and you just you can see the families' faces that you know they're going to remember this for their lives, right? Mm -hmm. But the hustle, the hard work, the broken equipment, um, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the rock and roll. There's so many. Um, so going back to that thing with their, their car business, it was when, when I was first in there for a year, I, I did amazingly well. And it's because I just did whatever my boss told me to. Mm -hmm. If he told me to say something to a customer, I would walk right out and say it to the customer. And the customer mm -hmm. would freak out. And I go, oh, God, I don't know what to do, you know? And I run back up to my manager's desk and go, okay, now they're really mad. And he's like, great, go back and try this, you know? And I did it, and over that time, I was like, okay, there's a method to this madness of sales and cars and discounting and um, special interest rate. And all. There, there was a path on how you wanted to take each customer. In the restaurant industry, when I got in, it was it, it just seemed like really controlled chaos all the time, every day of the week, no matter how hard you scheduled. You had people calling out, like, people are, are, are talking about this employee issue right now and the lack of the labor force, but we've been dealing with this for so long that it's not, it's nothing new, you know? We're so used to having one to two to three to four employees call in on a regular basis. We got a lot more in 2020, you know, and, and I attribute that to have a lot more, people had a lot more cash in their pocket for the first time in ever, you know, these guys had savings, right? Um... But we've always dealt with that. So when you when one person calls in, you build up this thick skin where it's like, okay, we'll deal with it. Okay, the freezer's down again. Okay, we'll deal with it. You know what I mean? And you, you learn to persevere, um, but they're not always fun lessons. You know, and, and I never thought in my life I'd still be working uh, the hours I am at the restaurant specifically. I, I was hoping by now after what are we in 16 years, 16 years that I, there'd be a little more sit-down time, and there is. And I, I budget my time better. Um, but it's, you know, you asked the Lippy family. I mean, Jim was still doing 14 and 16-hour days up into what is late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. And that's just kind of how you do it, you know. And it takes a different type of person to do it. Mm -hmm. Tell me about each of your businesses and what makes them unique. I think folks would be surprised at the diversity of restaurants and businesses that you mm -hmm. and your family are involved yeah, in. Yeah, sure. Tell me about some of um, those. You know, obviously Trinity, I think, has got more my name and my stamp on it than anything in terms of how we operate, what we do, how we communicate our customer service and our product. Um, jalapenos, now that was an interesting one because we we took over a business that already had a 25-year legacy. And, and again, I'll always go back to this. I love the legacy in our community. Uh, and just a quick little story, like we, especially with as many restaurants have closed down, we hear from locals, and it hurts. It hurts so bad. When you, when you hear friends and family member go, gosh, wish there was something else open to eat, right? And, you know, we, and we look at it and we go, geez, we, we really busted our tails to even be open right now. And you've had so many, you're kind of missing the point as to why they shut down to begin with, right? It, it's not just uh, the labor pool. It's just, it's a tough industry, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. Um jalapenos we walked in and then there was this really high expectation set which was really challenging taking on a whole new staff um i remember i went in and we had that first meeting that we were going to change over and the employees kind of knew what was going on and um you know we really vowed to keep anybody that wanted to stick around uh i've been able to do that at every place so far uh and and i typically get 95 to 98 percent 
uh, you know, over the course of a month, it might not work out. They might not like the style or whatever. Mm -hmm. Jalapenos was interesting. You know, you get judged by a different standard, by a different group. Uh, Chet and Sherry were, you know, on the floor all the time. Um, one of them was hosting, picking up the phone, working in the kitchen. Uh, but that's kind of what it takes in this town is like owner operated. Mm -hmm. So we, we had the expectations of the customers, but we also had the expectations of the staff, which was really, um, it, it was challenging at times, but it also brought um, uh, new dynamics to the game, these new mm -hmm. challenges of going, oh man, you know, I know how to deal with my employees because they've been with me for 10 years. How do I deal with these guys that have been with somebody else and been used to their management style? So, you know, it was kind of a, a little bit of give and take, um, but but it has been good. And then I eventually, um, Dave, Dave Vermeer's over there right now. Mm -hmm. um, so my first year was mostly managing him through the struggles and the stressors of the restaurant. And then I slowly moved more back towards Trinity because we started ramping up again as well too like much more so than i had anticipated probably like 16 percent we started going up so more time spent back over here so jalapenos is one of those ones i wish i would have um i wish i would have had more time to dedicate maybe like four years out of it to, to really be there for 20 to 40 hours a week so that kind of bums me out a little bit but they're still plugging away and i still like going over there and visiting with all their people and going to dine over there 219 now 219 is interesting because I started when it was a real dive bar, smoking, bar fights, security, all that stuff. They were wild, but you know, you learned how to use your mouthpiece over there, you know, and never want to put your hands on anybody. Um, and then you come to find out that you, you, you may have had some problem children over there. Uh, but once you learned, you know, kind of what they were into, you monitor them a little mm -hmm. bit better and, and still became like dear friends with a lot of those guys over the 219 that are still there. The switch from the uh, the dive bar to what it is now, getting rid of the smoking, that was that was very impactful. Mm -hmm. We 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 knew the smoking was going to be to get rid of the smoking was going to be tough. We didn't realize we had some customers over there spending like five to seven hundred dollars a week, um, and they were all big smokers. So as soon as we went non-smoking, they pulled their business. And trying to get the community to look at this building and this business and the name of it and forget a lot of the history from a decade ago right. was incredibly challenging. We, um, you know, it was a it was a long road, uh, long road ahead. Watching the revenues slip and knowing that you put all that money into it and you know just having a lot of faith that you know eventually it's going to turn around. Um, and then we got the new business opening up at the Truby's old space on Main there. And that one, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I don't have a name for it. We hope to open in April. Um, we're working on the, the state's finishing up on our liquor license down mm -hmm. there. So that'll be, but I don't know. I really love that space. I love the building. I love the Truby's family. Uh, we're, they were always amazing. We used to sneak over there and get like egg salad sandwiches between break at Cafe Trinity. Um, so th it's got some good, rich history. Uh, to the building at least right now. Mm -hmm. I love had to make quite a few renovations to it. The building's been renovated uh, Certainly not as big as I'd like we've done a couple of events over there So it's been kind of mm -hmm. fun to watch the traffic and and see people look around the corners and peek into the windows And I'm always I, I'll always invite if I'm over there or the lights are on just knock on the door mm -hmm. And I will take you on it. Most people butcher paper the window, you know And I want I want everybody to come and, and see what still needs to be done and when it's gonna open and all that good stuff It's, it's such a historic site and I mm -hmm. think anybody who was around in Sandpoint when Truby's was there mm -hmm. Remembers going in for one of their sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, or one of their right? meals and just walking through the aisles which weren't that far apart yeah, right. and 
it was a special place and seeing the renovations pay homage to that history mm -hmm. but also capturing a new style yeah absolutely and i i really love our our historic downtown like the the jalapenos building mm -hmm. right we we have so much memorabilia from the old elks when it was in there and oh, the yes. boxing ring and the bowling alley um, so yeah, it's it's special to walk through those buildings, especially when we're talking about as much development as going on right now, mm -hmm. and the price of real estate. Because it wasn't too long ago, uh, 2009, 10, 11. You know, the Inkwell was vacant for almost years, years, yeah. right? You go up and down First Street, and it was like typically vacancy, vacancy, business, vacancy, vacancy, all over this place. Um, most of our our contractors, our craftsmen, our uh, people that worked with their hands in general, all went to North Dakota because the work stopped over here. And that was kind of, you know, that was pretty scary for us because I had just opened Trinity in 2009. So to, to witness all this happening, you know, we used to have trouble getting people to come and, you know, plunge the toilet uh, pre-2008 just because mm -hmm. everybody's so busy, a lot like it is today. And by 2010, you could get the owner of the plumbing outfit, if they were still in town and hadn't gone to North Dakota, would come out to plunge your toilet. You know what I mean? It right. was just, it was, everybody was doing what they could. Um, prices, that's been one thing, and I'm sorry to go off the script here, but no. w one thing I don't think people understand is, is owners, restaurant owners are deathly afraid to raise their prices. Like, I mean, it is like the kiss of death for us. We freak out about it. We freak out for the first customer who says something. Mm -hmm. No matter how much you anticipate it and you have a story ready and you say, our labor's gone up, our cost of goods have gone up, our utilities have gone up, um, we always freak out. And I'll tell you, just in the last couple of years where we've had to raise prices, mm -hmm. as much anxiety as that brought, and I'm talking about all of us, every mm -hmm. single restaurant in this community has gone through this at some point in the mm -hmm. last two years. Um, it's great that our locals and our tourists and our new residents are very sympathetic to what we and they see it you see it in the grocery store you see it at the fuel pumps um, you obviously see it in real estate so so people are understanding of that and I think it, it behooves us how do we show more appreciation to the locals you know what I mean and, and a lot of places are already doing stuff right now but you know I'm I'm really big on um, we need to express outwardly this gratitude mm -hmm. for this community for helping us all stay open. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Because when we opened our doors in June of 2020, when we were able to come back, I think that was the big, the first three weeks were not, like, we, we thought potentially there was going to be a line out the door. Mm -hmm. uh, we thought we were going to be lots of infighting about the COVID restrictions and guidelines and masking and this, that, and the other thing. And it was a pretty slow crawl, but the, the customer, by like week three or four, everybody felt in the routine of what they were, including the customers as well, too. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of, you know, we'd get people out. We'd still get people that hadn't been out in a full year, and they'd come to the restaurant. And they would tell us, and, you know, they've got the, like, the beekeeper suit on and just, you know, ready <laughs> for anything. And you just tell them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit you outside, and you're going to feel really, really uncomfortable for the first 15 minutes. And then you're going to go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I've missed this for the last year. Mm -hmm. So it was really nice. I think that was one of the coolest experiences the last two years is taking these people who were first time out. Because um, I experienced it, too. I, I had to get going to get the restaurant back open. So I called everybody two weeks ahead of time, figuring out who left, who's staying, who's, who's doing this, moving people from different positions. 
uh, and then I had to go to Home Depot for the first time because we were, I was in a shutdown with my family. I was loving it. I, I thought it was the best thing that ever happened in terms of my time with, you know, I got to make up for lots of time. Teach the kids how to cook, how to clean the oven, oh, the microwave, how to mop, just school of hard knock stuff, right? Um, and we ended up, my son to this day still makes us dinner like four to five times a week, which is just, it's incredible. Oh, how neat. Um, and, and he's really gotten into it, and his sister's gotten into helping it. You know, now, now I always tell him, don't you, don't you even dare get into this industry. Don't you be a <laughs> chef. You cook for yourself. You cook for other people when you're entertaining, but that's it. Go be a doctor or something. Go be a police officer. But it, it has been really cool. It's taking these families and kind of seeing, um, assuring them that it's going to be okay, mm-hmm. um, assuring them that we were going to follow the guidelines. You know, I think we. Us and, oh, I don't know, a couple other places probably followed the guidelines to the I mean, mm-hmm. McDuff's, Trinity, Sweet Lou's, and Jalapeno's, we all, you know, we, we all have a group text anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and we chatted like, hey, okay, what are you guys going to do? Well, we're going to take out half of our tables. Okay, we're going to put X's on our tables. And it was mm-hmm. nice to hear, you know, it was like, hey, we did the X's. Don't do the X's because if they see those tables are there and they're open, customers get frustrated that they're not sitting there. So it was nice that we had some support in terms of there was there was a handful of us or, or maybe even more that followed the guidelines. And then there was just kind of a point last May is when we took the masks off. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a point. It was like, well, you know, what we noticed is everybody who feels comfortable vaccinated, mm-hmm. unvaccinated, whatever it might be, everybody's going to live. Like we never thought we'd have so many 75 plus come back right after the shutdown. Mm-hmm. And they were bored out of their mind. You don't realize how much that Trinity lunch meant to them every mm-hmm. Monday, um, getting out and having dinner with their friends or their family members, mm-hmm. excuse me. And, and you realize how, how, how important your little your small business is mm-hmm. to so many different little families for different reasons, you know? What kind of a vibe do you would you ascribe to each of the restaurants and the businesses? Mm-hmm. So you know, Trinity, I, I'm obviously I'm biased to Trinity. I think in terms of the whole dining experience from the moment you walk in the door to the moment you walk out, right, is is part of that. Um, the city beach and the mystique of this property. One thing that's been it's been funny, but just mind numbing as well too are. You know, since 2017, I'm going to lose the building. I can come back. They're going to build something. They're not going to build something. We get signed up with them. I mean, every year since 2017, we've had to go through this, right? And, and it's critically impacted our business in terms of people stopped going because they didn't know if we were going to be here or everybody floods down here because they think we're going to go and the server's got to keep telling the same stories. But that's also part of our history now, right? is going to be this this crazy is it going to happen is it not mm-hmm. going to happen and we're still in the nebulous spot of that um jalapeno is definitely more the more uh family friendly it's been great to watch you know as many kids as we get here which i'm, I'm always impressed how many kids menus we print off per day um and watch the little ones grow up because I, I always think that like hey we, we have this demographic of 65 and up and that's and it's shooting up for the last since 2019 but eventually you get to this diminishing returns, right, at, at 72, 73, mm-hmm. where they're not going out as much. Um, they don't come out in inclement weather, right? But where we've really capitalized is we've got the kids that like eating fillets and clams mm-hmm. and um, what's another funky one? Pulled pork enchiladas. Because not a lot of kids like mole sauce, you know. It's kind of an acquired taste for most people. Um, jalapenos, just seeing that it's been almost historic family. You, you've got all the stories. 
Sandpoint um, sports, Bulldog stuff, from the Bulldog bench to having banquets there to doing big to-go orders for them. The 219 I love because we've had this whole different crowd. I mean, I remember going in there and we had like the Banditos bike biker gang was in there. And, you know, everybody was a little uneasy that night. And um, it was it was a sketchy four hours. Not that the club was did anything wrong, but, you know, you anticipate, oh, my gosh, something's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to say something to them. Dealing with that, dealing with uh, people who have had too much to drink, breaking up fights, all that stuff. But now seeing, you know, some of our same customers at Trinity are going and getting a nightcap at the 219, which has been really, really cool. When I was first up here, we got a lot of the younger skiers and snowboard crowd uh, came down the mountain. And for years, we didn't have that. And then it's starting to pick up again. So we've really watched this this customer change. Alcohol went through a point where it wasn't that cool. I, I don't know. And then the new place, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the vibe is. I always, I've always gone into these things with a, a thought process of mm-hmm. like, what's my demographic? Who's my customer? And I've been blown away how many times I've been wrong. You know, I mean, like I said, I never, I never wanted to do nachos at Trinity. I thought they, I was just, I, the space they take into the oven, everybody's got their own interpretation of what makes nachos fantastic right. and what they look like. And I, it, the customer base demanded it when we got down here. And within six months, we had it on. Uh, I didn't want to do fried calamari because um, at the time, everybody had calamari on their thing. It was the same thing. The customers mm-hmm. demanded it. And, uh, you know, I never thought we'd see as many kids. I never th- see our population, the 65 and up crowd, mm-hmm. seeing how much parking. Uh, you know, we, we have wonderful parking here. Somebody can be dropped off under the awning on a rainy day mm-hmm. or when the parking lot's full. Jalapenos doesn't have that spot. The Trubies, you know, they got a U.S. bank in the city lot there, uh, and the 219 as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our old Cafe Trinity location, I mean, that's why we lost customers all the time. If the parking lot looked reasonably full and there was nowhere to park, and they'd tell you every single time. So, yeah, trying to pick out the demographic is, is really tough, mm-hmm. and, and trying to figure out what the vibe will be is kind mm-hmm. of tough. It, it's kind of standpoint's going to let you know. You know, in mm-hmm. the city, you can carve your little niche out and say, okay, we're going to be a industrial, quick service, high cost, you know what I mean, really mm-hmm. high quality stuff and, you know, uh, a bunch of French cuisine that no, you know, not mm-hmm. many people are going to understand. And that'll be kitschy and it'll be on fire for a time. But, uh, but I think the real consistency, right, uh, mm-hmm. consistency not only in your product, in your, uh, your prices, but your customer service, mm-hmm. I think that's what brings that repeat business back. Do you know what style of food you're going to serve? At the new place? Yeah. Mm, not really. Mo- most of it's going to be predicated on when this place comes down and Trinity moves mm-hmm. up, and then we'll have to take our, our menu and condense it for the space. Um, we, we do have a lot more shareables, I think, mm-hmm. but we won't even be able to unveil that until this place comes down because I can't rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. So we'll start off as a bar over there, uh, beer, mm-hmm. wine, and alcohol, and then we'll incorporate the food when we can. This is, again, something you touched on earlier, Justin. Hiring and retaining employees, it's mm-hmm. as you probably, every business in town, you could probably talk to them about, it's been a challenge. Mm-hmm. So what techniques do you find most effective when you're searching or hiring or retaining employees? Mm, I do all the interviewing, and I've worked on our interview process with uh, a gal that helps me do HR. We worked on, uh, we worked really hard for the first five years on, on designing an interview 
that was bound, deals with tons of hypothetical situations, mm -hmm. mostly hypothetical situations. All those situations are horrible, right? They're all situations that have happened at the restaurant within the last couple of years, and they're there to they're there to trip you up, right? They're mm -hmm. there to make you think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll get a lot of people that will answer one way, and then they'll stop and they'll go, "Wait a second, you said this." Okay, I want to change my answer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and going through, and you know, sometimes, and, and I don't, I, I hope I'm not sounding callous or not, but I can probably get ten minutes into the interview and go, "This is going to work out," or "It's mm -hmm. not going to work out." Uh, the other thing we've been, and this one took me a lot, this took me the first three years to really understand this, but going through a full five to seven day training process because, you know, in, in honesty, a lot of honesty, um, Trinity is not the easiest place to do your first uh, waiter or waitress job, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you, you have to break people the news and say, you know, you need a little more experience before we'll do this. We have other more entry level positions for you. A lot of people don't want to bite that bullet. You know, they don't want to take a step back. Um, but the people that I've hired for the first time, you know, as, as much as I think they can do it, um, you know, they, they end up not liking me and I end up not liking them. And, and, and I really pride myself on trying to be as, you know, once once a relationship is done in terms of business, like I'm over it. Mm -hmm. I, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I wish you the best. I'm going to high five you if I see you. I'm going to yeah. say hello to you in the store. I'm going to ask you where you work and all that good mm -hmm. stuff. I'm gonna give you a, um, a heck of a recommendation mm -hmm. when you come out, if somebody ever calls me, uh, but I don't ever want to kid something about how, how hard it is, you know? Yeah. And, and just trying to find that, that mental and physical toughness. Most of it, when I say the body, the body will do amazing things. It's the mind that starts getting you into these positions mm -hmm. where you start getting down or you're hot or you're tired or you're mad at somebody, you know? And those are the mm -hmm. types of things I can't stand. Drama, drama is the, the freaking death of our industry, I think. And, and it's funny, too, because after, I think with some of my nonprofit work and some of the work for the city, it, you just see, I, I can appreciate that the restaurant industry, at least we can kind of yell and scream about it the day that it happens or the issue. You know, we can take care of it that day. Things don't typically fester for too long before you have to deal with them. Whereas you see much more level of like sophistication in, in some of the more corporate places mm -hmm. on filing complaints, um, severance, severance packages, things like that. You know what I mean? Where mm -hmm. these things can draw out for months and months and people can be unhappy. And I would, I would rather come to work and have a whole crew of happy folks mm -hmm. than to have 99 of them happy and one of them upset and then starting to drag the rest of them down. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd, I'd rather just eliminate that person mm -hmm. from that shift or that day or that position or, you know, in that worst case scenario, the restaurant. Uh, and we try not to do that. A lot of second chances, a lot of third chances. Mm -hmm. Same point, we are not blessed. In, and I don't even know if you'd call it blessed. I don't even, I don't think that would be the right word for it. When I was in Colorado, if I need to hire a salesperson, I had a stack of applications deep. Mm -hmm. And I just, one after another, I'd get four deep and I'd find somebody. Mm -hmm. And we'd start the process and we didn't have a very good training process. It only lasted about a day or two. And then you'd feed these guys to the wolves. And then at the end of the month, we had 40 salespeople and the bottom five would lose their job. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just, that was just the nature of the business. Right. And people would scrape and scrap not to get in that, that last five. But we, we did it a lot to ourselves with the lack of training. Mm -hmm. um, here, like I said, the training, we, we can take, um, I can take any, any level of experience from none to, you know, somebody's worked at the, the finest restaurants and we can put them into a system that's going to work, right? It's been proven to work. The communication is there. Uh, the way we handle the food from the moment that it gets in to the moment it gets out to the customer. 
Uh, the other thing in terms, of, you know, I'm, um, I'd say I'm pretty demanding on these guys, but they also know that I'm like, uh, I always roll my sleeves up. I don't believe in, in any business in this area north of probably Hayden. If you're not owner-operated, if your owner's not there on a regular basis, you, you're not going to make it for very long. And if you, if you have been able to figure out that, kudos to you. But I, I don't see it in the restaurant industry a whole lot. I think people come to people come to sit and to chat with me and to see me. But at the same time, I, I think a lot of people come in because they know I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to work. And, and the employees understand that too. You know, I'm not – if there's a toilet that's clogged in the middle of July 4th, I'm going to go deal with that. I don't want my servers away from their customers having to deal with that. So I want the bussers out taking care of the customers. You know, every, everything is customer-centric, right? And if we have to pull any of our people off to do these menial tasks um, that I could do, right, mm -hmm. it, then I'm going to go do it. You know, there's no I, – I, I run into this a lot at other places, and, and not necessarily in Sandpoint, but you see it a lot in Spokane, too. Everybody's doing everything besides helping the customer. Mm -hmm. And it just it, – it frustrates – we went to a place yesterday, and we spent a decent amount of money there. And just from the we, – we got in at 11. It opened at 11. We were the only two customers there. There was five people there. And you just sit and you wait and you wait and you wait and then you get the water, but it's not from your server, so you can't. Or you know what I mean? And we right. we were hustling because we had to pick up kids from school. Um, it wasn't you know the food was good and all that. I just it's it's brutal as a customer, right. especially when a place is slow and you're watching people move around. And I think most you know we we've got some really tenured employees. They got 13 years, they got 12 years, they got a couple 11s, many 10s, lots of eights. Mm -hmm. Only have a handful of people that have been with me for less than a year, and I think people see that and they go, "Okay, well, some somewhere along the lines, they're doing something, mm -hmm. you know, to keep their staff." And it doesn't work out with everybody. My my yeah. style of management is not uh, the same as Dave's or the same as Mel, and certainly not the same as Claudia's. Um, but I'll tell you, the expectation they can always anticipate the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm typically going to be in a really good mood. I'm going to be hyper. I'm going to be ready to work, mm -hmm. and we're going to be a lot of Screaming and yelling, but not in the sense of um, at each other, but like fired up for let's right. get ready, get let's sure. get this shift going. What advice would you give to new entrepreneurs in the market, regardless of industry? Yeah, yeah, regardless. I think the biggest one is work. I, I hear, um, I just met with a guy that wants to start a restaurant, social media, um, photography page. And, and it's, you know, I really liked where he was going with the ideas. And then I started asking about the time that he's put into it. And it's like, well, I, I do this on the side and I do this on the side. And then you kind of break it down and you go, you, you're working on this like six hours a week. You know, that is not going to produce the results you're going to need in a fast enough time mm -hmm. uh, to make it work. You know, they say, what, what is it, like 10,000 hours before you truly expert whatever field you're in? The sooner that you can get to those 10,000 hours, despite it wanting to kill you, you know, that, I mean, you have to want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, you know, mm -hmm. and, th and that truly is. And I, I've missed a ton of, um, I've missed out on so much time from my children's births to their lives. Um, and, you know, and I'm trying to play catch up now with it, which is, you know, I feel, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm a little, like I said, I'll go back to that. I'm a, I'm a little bit better about uh, delineating my time. Um, but yeah, there's there's no uh, there's no secret beside from hard work. You know, you can't. I still to this day, if I can't sleep, I come down to the restaurant and I start working on things. 
if I'm stressed out about a catering or something like that, I'm coming in early to work on it. Um, you know, my, gen my general manager goes, well, you tell me to open, and then you're here before me, and you've done all the opening stuff. And a, and a lot of it is, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't think you have to work the way I work and put the hours in, but, but that first three years is so crucial. Mm -hmm. You know, most, most businesses, especially restaurants, fail on year three. Mm -hmm. And then those that make it to year five, I mean, the number is minute. It's probably under 20%. And then you have an even greater chance mm -hmm. of failing at year five. So I, I, if you can set up your first three years of super hard work, mm -hmm. um, don't kid yourself about how much money you're going to – I mean, I can't tell you how many months I didn't take a paycheck so that I could give somebody else a paycheck or how many times in the first couple of years I borrowed 50 grand to make payroll – knowing that it was still February and I was probably going to have to do that three more times until we got to the point with a, um, until we got to the point where, you know, we we're a little more profitable that we could at least break even on, on making payroll and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The other thing, uh, the working hard the three years, don't kid yourself about, you know, see your results is, is your performance and what criteria you're measuring, mm -hmm. not necessarily your profits, your revenues, um, your mm -hmm. customer turns, all that good stuff. Do you think, think a lot of people pick something that they think would be a good mm. idea, but it's maybe not a passion? One, well, let me go back to that because it just one one of the things that I think has probably changed my experience from other people's experience. Mm -hmm. And same thing with um, we'll just use the restaurants for example. Um, how how bad do you want to be in Sandpoint? I, I think mm -hmm. that one's a big question because I. When my first three years were tough, my kind of go-to was, we're going back to Denver. You know what I mean? I can't do this anymore. Same place too small. Customers are too tough. The hours are too long. And then we finally went back to Denver, and we just went on a vacation uh, after our first three years. And we got back there, and we were like, holy smokes. This is, the, the sprawl is crazy. The traffic on Sunday mm -hmm. night. The giant Ikea billboard that's hanging over the interstate. M you know, meanwhile, I can't even get a... Uh, a seasonal sign for Willow Bay Moorage. You know, that took nine and a half months to get that. Just a little little placard, right? Um, but but our driving force was like, we can still walk to school. We can still walk to soccer practice. The money that we're going to save in this community is going to pay dividends for when our kids are matriculating to college or mm -hmm. to trade school or to a profession outside. Um, it, the, the community, in terms of you can you're we're still truly a neighborly community right mm -hmm. and I think that factors a lot into what what type of business you're in and how hard you're going to work to be successful at it because most of us any of I think any of the restaurants we could open in Coeur d'Alene mm -hmm. we could open in Spokane we could open in Spokane Valley and I think we'd make a killing and we could probably go to that point of you know just having to go in and do the books a couple of days a week and you have managers to take care of everything you mm -hmm. got applications uh, falling off your desk uh, but, you know, what, what's the trade-off here? I would rather work like a dog and be a part of Sandpoint, be involved, be involved in the non The nonprofit thing has been amazing to me. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would add that into the list of I didn't realize. I knew when I came down here I wanted to do, I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to have the staff volunteer. I always saw us as wearing, like, Trinity shirts, picking up beach, like trash on the beach, right? Mm -hmm. And then that slowly morphed. It was like, well, we're not going to do that in the summer. It's the busiest busiest time we got. And then it just slowly got through the avenues of like going through leadership standpoint, working with the chamber, the downtown standpoint business association. Where, what did we do after the business? So the teen center was a big one that we were working on. 
uh, and finally, you know, kind of landed with uh, the hospital foundation as well. And it's and it just that much more. You're like, okay, th this is why I do it. Not only I do it, I want to be in this community. I want to be somewhat. I, I don't financially comfortable. I, I don't know if that's uh, again. That's why I'm kind of going back to this. Like, don't think about your your money and mm -hmm. your revenue that you're going to get. Comfort is more of a, a mindset, I think. The financial comfort is mm -hmm. kind of a mindset. Any one of us can walk outside our door and, and go hang out in this beautiful area mm -hmm. for four hours and not spend a dime. Um, but, but being able to you know, rely on those customers, see those customers support you not only as your business, but then also support the, the stuff that you're, that's really important to you and that mm -hmm. you're passionate about, like the hospital or like uh, the teen center or like mm -hmm. community cancer service, Panhandle Alliance for Education. We just have so many avenues to go. Any other advice you'd give to new entrepreneurs? Well, I don't know. I, I think that's about it. Stay out of the restaurant industry. <laughs> Not because I don't want to compete with you. I just don't want your dreams to get crushed. <laughs> it's, it's tougher than people. Yeah, imagine. yeah. And, and we kind of laugh. I, I think that's why we have such a good relationship with the other owners is mm -hmm. it's um, you you hear people, um, you know, they talk about, oh, my gosh, that 40-hour week was so tough, and now I've got Friday, Saturday, and every federal holiday, and every, or, yeah, every federal day off. I've mm -hmm. got every holiday off. And you just kind of go, are, are you kidding me? Like, wh when I used to take Mondays off, it took me a year to get adjusted because, you know, I already worked. You know, my, my weekend, or the week pretty much starts Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm -hmm. Sunday. Monday's more of an industry day, get stuff done day. Mm -hmm. So I take Mondays off, but the whole world goes back to work on Mondays, right? Mm -hmm. So your phone and your emails just lighting up with mm -hmm. people who haven't worked all weekend, mm -hmm. and now they're really anxious about deadlines and getting things done mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's nice that we can all kind of, um, you know, we kind of laugh. The customer service, the rating thing has just been amazing. The, the reviewing, um, it, it, what a different way to have somebody critique your experience, right? We were so used to the early days that people were mad. They have a finger in your chest, they're turning bright red, they're yelling, they're screaming. The other tables are starting to look around and see what's happening. And now, you know, it saddens me that you, you may not even get that experience. Whether, whether it's a five-star or one-star, mm -hmm. right? Where did we lose the, where did we lose that, that um, I don't know if it's a feeling, or where did, where did we somewhere disconnect that we didn't feel that we could talk to the player? You know, if you bought a mm -hmm. ski jacket that's too small, right? Would you go home and you rat whip the, the ski jacket company or the place that you bought it from online, or would you just go exchange the damn jacket, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's what bothers me a lot um, with, with the review stuff specifically. I, I'm a big, uh, I don't know if you're a Black Mirror watcher on Netflix. Um, I haven't started watching that one yet, no. It, it really, I, I would super recommend it. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a newer version, a newer take on um, the Twilight Zone. Okay. It's a little rougher, right? A little rougher on the sci-fi experience. But we have these, there's one particular episode where, where people, there's a social credit score, right? And every interaction that you're having. So I meet with Carolyn, I go, oh man, great interaction. You get a five, right? <laughs> and you go, oh, Justin was okay today. I'll give him a four, right? And then that four takes my, takes my stuff down. And, you know, eventually people can't get jobs because their credit, you know, their, la their rating is a 3.7. Well, that mm -hmm. happens with restaurants and businesses as well, too, with that. You know, nobody's thumbing under a 
five, right, for right. the restaurant or business that they go to. So again, it, it's that much more important. I really go back to that customer service thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's that much more important. You may not, 90% of your people may never say, thank you, uh, it was great, we had a great time, thank you for the experience. Mm -hmm but they'll go and they'll say something because they feel more comfortable being anonymous when they do it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really goes back. If your customer service is on point, your reviews should be on point for the mm -hmm. most part, you know? What new projects do you have on the horizon that you want to mm. share with folks? Ah, uh, man. Um, it could be business yeah, or it yeah. could be something like with the hospital foundation. Yeah, I'll, so I'll, I'll say it this way, business-wise, I'm, I'm always looking for, for something, whether mm -hmm. it's a spot, like a rental spot, or I, I guess in terms of my world, what's, what's really exciting is trying to figure out how to be this landlord to multiple people. Mm -hmm. I've always had to do it every year prior to COVID with at least one to two people, but now we're getting in a situation where by June, I'll probably have eight people living across three or four different apartments or fifth wheels. Um, I just got my first experience last week where I had to deal with a neighbor uh, below my people. Um, both of them mad because one's slamming doors, the other one's loud at night. These are in condos that were made in like 1970. So, you know, there, there is no, yeah, there's no sound insulation whatsoever. Um, but I, I am intrigued about the just workforce housing apartments. What are we going to do? We, we, as in small business and large business, we, we complain about the workforce, but what are, we, what are we truly doing? I mean, a lot of what I see, at least personally, and I've had a big shift in my, my thinking over the years, especially since moving to Sandpoint, is um, I, I feel, in terms of my, my labor force, like mm -hmm. I need to help create that, right? What, what am I doing to create a, a labor pool that I can draw from, right? Mm -hmm. where, where can I be novel, more novel than the next guy? And if that's signing bonuses or pay, taking care of rent or finding mm -hmm. people places to live, being a landlord, which is not has not been super fun so far, <laughs> um, but I, but I am I, I do love the uh, I love the challenge of it. You know, I, it, it's just one more thing to add to the the list of experiences and, mm -hmm. and stuff that um, the curveballs won't be. <laughs> there won't be as many curveballs the more that I keep doing this. And mm -hmm. I, re I really love that experience. Hospital-wise, I am super, I'm super pumped. I, I can't tell you. We've gone, we're going on our second virtual um, heart ball this year. We had a fantastic one last mm -hmm. year. We raised over $200,000, donated $200,000, which was really, really sweet. Uh, didn't have near the cost of a live event, I, but I'm... I'm still terribly sad. Like the, the first day we can get back, like I'm, I'm so excited for that. Um, just seeing the work, you know, I took over as president last January. And from when I started back in, you know, 2017, 18 as a board member, mm -hmm. just seeing where we've been able to go. You know, I think most people, uh, I don't know how to say this with, I'm trying to be as terribly nice as I can. I've been on many boards where Half the people are really committed, and mm -hmm. the other half aren't, for whatever reason. And I'm not, it just happens, right? I, it's, right. it's not, um, I'm not trying to, it's not a pejorative on any of these folks. But to have a group um, like ours that's really vetted in, in rolling up their sleeves, um, we don't have an executive director, we don't have admin costs. Mm -hmm. um, I think just as I work at the restaurant, they, the other board members and the hospital staff see the way that I work mm -hmm. um, for the hospital. 
and and hopefully that motivates them to do the same thing and, and it's probably not just me they all have this great passion for that we've all shared mm-hmm. these really intimate uh, experiences with the hospital as everybody mm-hmm. will right mm-hmm. it's one of those places that it's going to impact all of us at some point in time of everybody. our life whether we like it or not and you know we're i'm just really big on in terms of my own experience with my family and my son going through his type one diagnosis over mm-hmm. there uh the er trips the broken bones i i just in the birth of our children i'd say that's one the most because when we got up here we were warned and cautioned from all of our friends you know don't go to bonner general go to kootenai go to seattle go back to denver and we were we we didn't want that experience we wanted to be right here four blocks away five blocks away and we did and it was like I mean, from, from knowing the staff's name to the time that they go, you guys look like you're doing really good. We're going to give you four-hour break time from all of us. We're going to shut your door. We're not going to turn the phones on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and just having that experience where they're not going to let you out of the hospital until you feel 100% like, mm-hmm. you, you know, they feel like you're going to be able to take care of yourself. Whereas in this, again, I'm not, I'm not running down other places, but, you know, when I was in the hospital at Denver, it's like, you're in, you're out, uh, oh, you need more time, I'm sorry, we have somebody coming in. You're you know, You are a number. And, and I understand why they do that, and they, they have that kind of volume, right? Mm-hmm. We have volume here, too, and we serve such a large area, you know, mm-hmm. eastern Montana, the Panhandle, western Washington as well, too. You know, talk about upwards of 60,000 people that are going to trickle through that hospital in one way. And we're not, you know, we're the place that's going to stabilize you and get you to that next level of care. Mm-hmm. And really getting it out to the community that, that rural, rural uh, health care is just as important as education. It's just as important as our infrastructure. It's just as important as our police, fire, safety, emergency services, right? This, this little community is, is, we can't live without that hospital, right? And the more that we can do to bolster the services at the hospital, the more that we can bring in uh, physicians and specialists so that we don't have to drive to Coeur d'Alene, mm-hmm. we don't have to drive to Spokane, you don't have to take your kids out of school. We do team treatment right now between BGH and over at Sacred Heart for the mm-hmm. endocrinologist. And we get to the point where we're like, I don't want to go to Spokane. Like, we, we got to take them out of school. They're going to see us for approximately an hour and a half. Uh, in type one, there nothing's new. This is insulin. Your pancreas doesn't make it, right? Um, you know, go through the number of checks. But we, we feel so much more comfortable mm-hmm. in this little community. When we were in the hospital for his diagnosis, when his blood sugar was just through the roof when we were in the ICU, the amount of people that reached out, and, and people we didn't even know um, who had a type 1 grandchild, mm-hmm. uh, who were a member of our church that we had never met before, uh, customers, of the, that, was, that one blew me mm-hmm. away, customers, that had found out our experience in mm-hmm. 48 hours and were calling us to say, we're here for your type one support group. Like you you need anything and we're mm-hmm. here for you. And I, ju- I think that's so unique to our area. I don't think mm-hmm. you get that in Coeur d'Alene. I don't think you get that in Spokane or Spokane Valley. You'd be hard pressed to find another city our size that mm-hmm. has a hospital, that even has a city, a full service city, doing mm-hmm. what we're doing right now. What's your overall vision for the future for the community? Hmm. In regardless of what role that you have, whether it's in your role as a business mm-hmm. owner, an entrepreneur, sure. volunteer at nonprofits, council yeah. member. I, I would love to see, um, I think it kind of all works in, in tow with each other. Um, 
I'd like to get to a point where there's no shoulder seasons, right? And if that means we bring in more activity, more affordable activity to the downtown core and to basically Sandpoint, what we would call Sandpoint, um, more, a little more development in terms of the rental properties, the multifamily, um, those things are tough right now because we're, we're infilling these spaces and they're not always compatible with what the neighborhood charm is. And that's always been the big balance is how do we go from a place where we've got pretty distinct shoulder seasons and every business suffers, not every business, but mostly service hospitality suffers, um, get to that point where we have enough new residents to take away those shoulder seasons, but also still maintain the character of this community as well. And that's what we're grappling with right now. We have this big influx of upwards of 20% new, new citizenry mm -hmm. or, or people living in the community and the infrastructure still based on this 10,000 number right now. So trying to balance that, I, I would love to be here. I'm 42 right now. I'd love to be at 60 years old, still living in Sandpoint, still operating businesses to some extent, but still being able to walk outside uh, and you know be in, I'm, I'm 10 feet away from a park, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm three blocks away from another park. I'm four blocks away from another park. And still being able to get that vibe that you can, you don't have to spend any money in this community to have a really great time and to make use of the natural resources that we have. Um, and that's gonna be the toughest part. We, we've already seen so many different ski areas, so many different resort communities like ours fall by the wayside of really big development, big bucks. McCall's a funny one, you know, they say the billionaires are pushing out the millionaires right now. And then yet we're busing all of the, the laborers in from mm -hmm. you know 50 miles away because they can't afford to live anything and they didn't they didn't necessarily plan it out right in terms of employee housing so we're at this kind of tipping crucial point right now that what are we going to do I, I think w the the one thing that's been really fun about city council is it's like y you can see 17 slides of what the staff wants to get done or what they want to accomplish based upon what they've heard from the community, from the current counselors, from the outgoing counselors to the staff, and you look and you go, holy smokes, where are we going to dedicate our time? Because if we dedicate it on a new sewer system, that's 40% of the staff's time. Now you're left with this 60% and you still have 17 slides with 10 items on each of them. How do you start picking those off? What makes mm -hmm. the most sense? So it's been fun, and I don't know the answers to that. You know, I, I um, as I dive in, you know, you definitely see that infrastructure is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Can't have the development without the infrastructure. So I'd say that's probably step one. Really mindful development, I think. And I think what we've seen, especially if you if you go back and watch last night's meeting, mm -hmm. or the planning and zoning meeting that predicated it back on December seventh, mm -hmm. there was so much thoughtfulness from the neighborhood from the developer to the architect to the council to the commissioners on planning and zoning. I, I mean, very, very carefully, uh, also very, uh, I'd like to say the decorum since I've been at city council, now I've only been on for what, four or five meetings, but the, the decorum and the, just the conduct in, of the citizenry and being able to have these really tough dialogues, you know, mm -hmm. um, with neighbors that are now looking at facing, you know, this big multifamily uh, monstrosity that's now in their neighborhood of single family mm -hmm. places. Um, somehow give it the, the given the take interaction, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. I think we saw a lot of that last night. Um, I think the neighbors are going, we, we desperately need housing, mm -hmm. but help it fit the intended mm -hmm. charm and character of our little neighborhood that we have. Mm -hmm. And so you get, um, it's just, it's great that we're having those dialogues. I don't know if we were having those two years ago and, and really 
were we were we yelling our points and not listening? I, I think there's been a lot of active listening since the first of January, and that that like melts my heart because I never I never get why when somebody's we have a group that seems to be not super thrilled with the way education is going. Right, we've got several different groups mm-hmm. that, that either want to bolster test scores and matriculation to college or to trade schools. And you got another group that says uh, that the public schools aren't doing a good enough job with our kids or they're teaching them things mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be. I'm, I'm a big believer in why don't we get the two groups together mm-hmm. and we sit and talk and find where our commonalities. Because somewhere along those lines, we've got some converging circles, right, mm-hmm. where we can nail down some, some commonalities and we can respectfully disagree with each other mm-hmm. about the way things should be. But there should always be a pathway and a solution on how do the two groups reach across the table to mm-hmm. come up with some some sort of consensus. You know, and I think somewhere along the line, I don't know if we've lost it or we just stopped practicing it, but you know, it's, you know, I, I grew up in the 79, so I grew up in the 80s and mm-hmm. watching, you know, Ronald Reagan and the first Bush. But, but the stories that we would read are like Kennedy and Barry Goldwater, like just two, diametrically opposed, mm-hmm. right? Everything from taxes to, you know, import, export. But they still spent a lot of time with each other. They still mm-hmm. went to dinner. They still went to holiday together, right? Mm-hmm. There, there was nothing that was going to stop that friendship, no matter how vehemently they defended their position against mm-hmm. each other. It would never stop or get in the way of their friendship, ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever. And, and I, I can't believe that we're not so far with with the advance of technology and whatnot mm-hmm. that we're we're not at that level where we can communicate like that and, and maybe it is the social media that's gotten that way i think we all <clears throat> want the same things mm-hmm. i think we all want peace prosperity american dream mm-hmm. time with our families jobs that we love for every person on the planet that pathway is going to be different yep. and i think we've lost sight of that we all want the same things yep. And maybe you're right. Maybe we've stopped listening to each other, mm-hmm. and we need to get back to that. Yeah, I, I I'm always a big fan of um, active listening. I, if I'm in a board meeting, I don't necessarily, I don't want to be the first guy that jumps up and mm-hmm. and says, "Oh, that's right" or "That's wrong" or, or whatever it might be. You know, a lot of times, and I learned a lot of this from Chris Bessler, watching Bessler at, at meetings, because he is a really solid listener. Like you can tell, he takes in every bit of information. He's very, very mindful before he speaks after that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't have that epiphany until two or three days after and go, oh my gosh, yeah. Well, I've now that I've digested it, I've seen the different pathways that it can go. Mm-hmm. You know, we can kind of linear thought process this whole thing out and go, okay, this is a tremendous idea. Let's build on it right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, go back and go, oh gosh, I thought I had a great idea. And I'm going to go back to the group, not with my tail between my legs, but more on the I understand where you guys were coming from. This is probably not a good deal. We'll put it in the vault and we'll see if we can bring it out at another time. You know, and I and I certainly think the same way the nonprofits. Um, big kudos to Panel Alliance for Education in Kinder Haven because we, you know, they were kind of the guinea pigs from the shutdown and going virtually. So we were able to glean a ton of information with their help mm-hmm. um, in terms of making our event. Um, and and we're now going to do the same thing. We've got. Uh, We've got a meeting coming up after the heartball to try to help another group on uh, determine whether they want to go virtual or they want to go mm-hmm. in person, you know. And we don't have any problem. They're not they're not trade secrets, you know. The last thing I want anybody to do is hire a consultant to do this kind of stuff, you know. It's just eating into your profits that are gonna go for a really good cause mm-hmm. to really good people in this community, you know. And, and I think that's exactly <clears throat> it. we're all a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 
helping out when we need to help out, and then if we need help, somebody's going to be there to help us. Yep. So when you can help. And where else are you going to help? I mean, if you go to Spokane, are you going to have the same nonprofit opportunities that you do yeah. here? Or are you going to be a volunteer with a name tag that gets assigned phone calls or emails? or You know what I mean? Here you actually get to help the group. You get to listen to one of the kids at Kinder Haven yeah. whose life has been transformed because people in the community they care. care. Yeah, just that. And it's... And our it's big thing right now is just a matter of we, we have this group of citizens that has just been moving us forward in the nonprofit world, and you see them at every single event. And it's not just about how much money you give. You also see the same volunteers with these. You see the same board members go from board to board to board. Mm -hmm. You have this small minority group of people that, for whatever reason, have the ability to give that level of care and compassion mm -hmm. and, and, and passion. Um, is really big on us now is how do we find as the money has gone up volunteerism's gone down how do we get the keep the money where it's at bring the volunteerism up in in, mm -hmm. in terms of keeping that money there we've got to go find new donors you know and and that's what's been super fun about the restaurant is i i can't tell you how many people in the last two years okay where are you from i'm from california you know and you go you don't have to whisper we we're, i'm a business owner we, we're accepting of everybody that comes in here um go a full year make sure you can make it here a year you can get through the winter your house stays up you've got four-wheel drive on your vehicle and the chainsaw and all that other good stuff um once you get settled in you feel like you can do this come and see me and i will help point you in the right direction to what you're passionate about because we mm -hmm. have so many the nonprofit community is so interconnected right mm -hmm. um you know i've got a former board member that works with ccs and I feel super comfortable picking up the phone, as does she, if they need help with anything, mm -hmm. right? Or if they need to bolster attention, uh, uh, not attention, well, attention, exposure, participation, volunteerism, mm -hmm. you know, th that's where we all need to pick each other up in mm -hmm. the nonprofit world. But right now, I, I think if we can figure out how to transition some of these new residents, because they got a lot of energy and it's, mm -hmm. it's great, and, and get them into something that they love and, and go, okay, that child is why you helped Kinderhaven, right? Mm -hmm. Or these 13 kids are why you helped Kinderhaven. Or the emergency room visits that you, you're dealing with with your kids and you walk in there and mm -hmm. you see the new remodel that's more efficient, less people, see more, you know. Quick time is of the essence at the hospital mm -hmm. all the time, right? You, you just have this critical window of when you need to diagnose somebody, get them to the right level of care. And when you see all that stuff, so like when I took my, my kiddos to uh, Ready for Kindergarten for the first I was mm -hmm. like, I was blown away. I was just blown away. I'm like, wait a second, who pays for this? You know, and, and you start to go through the process and you're like, oh my gosh, there are so many parents in here. They've got childcare for the kiddos set up. We're getting just stacks of educational toys and books. Oh, you know what I mean? And all the materials. It's a cool yeah. And you're and this was when did we go there? My first year with Jace was two thousand and eight. Right, and that that program's still going on, that I've put employees through it. Um, I picked the people up that said they didn't want to, oh, I can't make it today, I'm too hungover. The hell you're not, you're going and I'm taking you because I committed, you committed to me, so let's go do this. Uh -huh. And then seeing their kiddos come up, right, and, and reading, uh, hitting all those reading milestones, right, mm -hmm. by, by the time they get to kindergarten. And seeing and getting, you know, one of our cook's kids just came back and he's reading at like a sixth grade level and oh, he's in awesome. third grade, right? And just seeing, okay, man, you see how impactful that is. Every dollar mm -hmm. that comes into these nonprofits is so impactful to somebody mm -hmm. in our community. 
But if if it makes my cook happy that his kid is reading at that level mm-hmm. and he's fired up in the experience of being a father and an educator, but also bragging about it at the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Just keeping those happier vibes. Everybody wins. When one member of the community has a success, we all have a success. Absolutely. No, I, I think it's great. I think every new business that opens here, right, we, we all take a little pride in, in that business and whether we want it to succeed or fail. And the one thing that... One thing I found out the hard way with the locals here, and, I, and I'm, I'm so blessed that I did, and I found this when I did, but uh, one of the funnier stories that I had to deal with, and she's just such a sweet lady, Eileen Bell, long-time, long-time resident. Eileen used to come in in the early days and would just dog me out from service to the <laughs> wine pours to food not being very good, no consistency. And it finally got to this point after like 10 times of her coming in at the old place and the new place, it was like, Eileen, why do we why do we play this? Why do we want to have this lesson in futility? Like you know, you're not going to like it. I know you're going to be mad at me before the end of it. Why do we do this to each other all the time? And what I was basically in so many words, I was saying, get out, right? And trying to do it in a really nice way. And she looked at me and she goes, Justin. She goes, I wouldn't tell any of this stuff, tell you any of this stuff if I didn't a love you, and number two, love your restaurant. Number mm-hmm. three, I want to see you succeed. And as soon as she said that, like my whole, the, the whole mm-hmm. mentality shifted. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why am I being adversarial to a customer mm-hmm. that only wants to see our success? And that's why she's bringing up mm-hmm. these little issues, right? If you can knock out the stuff that she's upset about or that, that's bothering her, we could really be successful with her. And now we, I mean, she comes in, we talk about it three times mm-hmm. a week. You know what I mean? And, and just to have that experience. The locals will come in and tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, but it, it really goes back to that listening. Are you going to listen to them, or are you going to go pound your fist on the table and go, no, I, this is the way I see it, this is the way I want my business run. Mm-hmm. You know, We're only going to do this, we're only going to do that. That's the kind of stuff. If you're not open to growth with your business based upon what you're hearing from the people around you, mm-hmm. not only your customers, but your staff. I mean, my staff has driven me to um, the point of pulling my hair out, but also to the to the extent of going, you guys have some of the best ideas because you're mm-hmm. front lines and you see what's happening. So don't ever be afraid. I don't think any of my employees are ever coming uh, are afraid of coming to talk to me and going, I see a better way to do this, mm-hmm. right? And and knowing that I'll sit down with them and if it works, it works. If not, we'll move on, you know? You put good it in the review. Good idea is a good idea mm-hmm. regardless of where it mm-hmm. comes from. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on the whole top-down. The only thing I believe in top-down is, like, the work ethic. You know what I mean? If yeah. the top's working hard, the bottom's working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I don't, I'm not a big believer in that. Uh, you know, I obviously have a vision, right? And if customer service gets screwed up, everybody knows that I'm going to have some issues with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, again, no, the dishwasher that comes in, very entry-level position, mm-hmm and goes, hey, I see a better way to do it. And it's, let's do it, let's give it a mm-hmm. shot. You know what I mean? Let's talk to everybody, let's communicate on how we're gonna do it and what mm-hmm. changes we're gonna make and let's try it. And so far so good, you know? Definitely. I mean, as good as it can be. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. What else would you like to talk about, Justin, that we haven't brought up, that we haven't talked about? Mm, we talked about the hospital. We talked about, you know, I, I do wanna plug the Rotary Club of Sandpoint too, because that, that's one that I've seen made some significant changes. When I got back, when I was in uh, 2010, I think is when I started, it was very much a good old boys club. Um, you actually got fined if there wasn't a female sitting at your table because we had so few females in the club at that point in time. Um, I was, the first year I was like, 
I, I don't know what I got myself into with these guys. And I'm not at the position where I feel comfortable quitting the club, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm going to ride this one out and just see, you know, where, where I can make a difference and, and if I can make a difference. And now to see the club, I mean, we have probably 65 regular attendees. We've got people on Zoom. We probably have more women or as many women as we do with men. We're getting young people. Um, we were really, there was a time period where no new, you know, no new blood was coming in under the age of 40 years old. And even the 40 to 50 were pretty slim to none. And just seeing the vibrancy of the club right now. And I, I remember when, when uh, Rotary Club took over the Chafe 150 from Panhandle Alliance for Education, I, I just remember the whole club, well, we've never done anything like this before. And you know, you get back to that change thing. And you're looking at everybody and you go, I, like, I know you guys all love to roll up your sleeves and pick up shovels and to be outside and to volunteer and, mm -hmm. you know, more of that sweat equity type of thing. And so it, it really, the convincing, after that first initial day of like the bitching and griping and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, everybody was like so gung-ho about it. And it was like, it was a club changer. It really was because people were like, we're going to do this bicycle ride and we're going to do it the best and we're mm -hmm. going to make it the region's best and we're going to put it as part of the Grand Fondo. Um, and it always kicks off the season. And the money goes to education for crying mm -hmm. out loud. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can't get better than that at a club. And so to see them, um, we presented as the foundation for those chafe proceeds. Mm -hmm. And we, we did not get it. It was actually the um, book trust got it, right? Still right. an amazing organization. Um, but, but to know, and I saw the gears working in their heads, like you could see them like, we didn't know that healthcare was in our wheelhouse for Rotary, right? And it, and it is one of the seven tenants of, of Rotary is, is healthcare in your community. And so even though we didn't, we didn't get those proceeds and we didn't get them this year, um, it, it's something that like really motivated me to come back and go, we're going to keep presenting until we get something from this club, because this is something that they, they can do. And it's something they'd probably enjoy doing as well. Mm -hmm. Super big kudos to those guys. And every, every guy and gal in there has been there. You know, you can always pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. Always pick up the phone and go, and somebody's going to help you out. And it's just, even this past summer, we were dying after the, this Chafe 150 was really tough, this one in it September. Was, and yeah. we lost Royal. Uh, Lance had a heart attack. BGH was on site to take care of Lance, the CPR and the mouth-to-mouth. -mouth, and he ends up going and gets... Um, like a pacemaker device in the you know 24 hours later but to go through all that with that whole group of people including the hospital people and my employees the rotarians with royal the rotarians on the site it was like our next club meeting after that was just it was like um it's it's it sucks even thinking about it and it doesn't suck because it was such an amazing day it just it brings me to it, <laughs> getting tearful when I talk about it but it takes you back to that place where you man. lost somebody you care about and you almost lost somebody else yeah and then the uh the following club day was tough because it was uh, we we did this celebration of life and we started talking about royal and everybody was just like the invocation alone was and it, that one got me and then to like to see his wife there and she was like I was expecting her to be like me, and she was just like smiling from ear to ear, and she was so thankful for the road, for for that club and his friends. I, I think at the end of the day, 
back if I could really like track it all back to what was so moving that day was exactly what you said like you you go through periods of time where you have like I think everybody at one one point or another has had that like what are they going to say at my funeral type mm-hmm. of moment right and mm-hmm. for some you know I always look at it and go what the hell are you talking like what, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. if you're if you're thinking of this, you're you're missing the you're missing the point of living, right? Mm-hmm. Go do your stuff, and if your stuff warrants being talked about, right? Mm-hmm. And and I don't I don't know what it was about that that particular meeting, other than just hearing everybody and seeing Jana, um, being able to tell the story of Lance, you know, mm-hmm. that we lost one and we gained and we we kept one here. Um, but the reality is, it's like. It's going to sound crazy, and I'll finish it off with this. But, like, uh, you know, the way I see it, you've got we are we are this tiny little speck of cosmic dust, right? And in a billion years, our planet may not be here. There may be another planet whose mm-hmm. conditions are, are better for life and creating life and water. And so you only have this, this small window of time to, to do put forth your best mm-hmm. work, um, and sometimes it doesn't happen until you're, you know, 40 years old or you're 60 years old or it happens early in life. But that there should be a body of work at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And if if you're going there and you're thinking about yourself and you're thinking, I don't have a body of work that I've put together that somebody could talk about at this point in time, like you're either not living in Sandpoint or you, you ain't working hard enough for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the one thing. I get a lot of people who go, how, the, how do you do all this stuff? What do you, like, how do you do the business and you do this and you do that? And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a matter of, um, it's not a matter of how, it's, it's how much do you love it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, none of these things are, um, I wouldn't be involved in any of these things if they were making me upset or stressed mm-hmm. out or anxious or any of that stuff, right? You do it because you feel that there's a need, for whatever reason, there's a void that's got to be filled with whatever, you know, whatever that service project Mm -hmm. is, whatever the community thing that you're uh, full on. And I don't know, we just saw it that day. It like, it totally changed the way I thought. We have so many things to be grateful for. The Mm -hmm. only thing not letting us be grateful is, is our mindset on Mm -hmm. how we, how we look with that, how we process it, how we deal with it. And, you know, do we execute or do we, you know, do you have some of that fight or flight response Mm -hmm. or do you, you know, do you go cower away until somebody else picks it up? And if you do, that's okay because there's always going to be somebody Mm -hmm. there to pick it up. Um, I I would rather be one of those people that picks it up. It's a matter of gratitude or taking things for granted. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of glass half full or glass half empty. Do you want to be a part of the solution or just complain? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's easier to complain. It's easy to have a sense of entitlement or uh, take things for granted. But to wake up each day and to go, wow, I get to live here. Yep. It's amazing, right? You know, it'd be easier for some folks, I guess, to go, oh, I don't have this. Or I don't have this. Or, and just be look at the glass half empty or what they don't have. That's 100%. Look at what we've got. Look at, like you said, you can go to the Pine Street Woods. You can go to the Pondre Bay Trail. Mm-hmm. You can go out the Dover bike path and go for a walk and see people smiling and yeah. laughing, walking with their dogs or riding bikes with their kids and spending those moments together with friends and family. Mm-hmm. 
how could you not be grateful? That's it, and and that's one thing I do. I never thought with all the different irons in the fire, it's like you just so, it all makes me happy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? At the end of the day, it's just um, I don't know what I'd do without it. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just as much my who I am as mm-hmm. um, you know collectively with everything that's going on. Uh, that helps drive me and make me and as, as frustrating as it can be at times it's always um, you know you always start the next day with uh, you know positive vibes mm-hmm. how are we going to be better see this getting full circle right mm-hmm. how are how are we going to be better um, and how are we going to be amazing stewards of this place that we all love listening to the 7b podcast thanks for joining us and remember to check back next monday to hear the latest news and stories that are happening in our community